Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have it, if you could please stand. I'll read it if you can follow along. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. And Lord, I pray that as we go over this word and as we talk about uh, the early church as well as our church, I pray that our hearts would be open and that we would be all one body united under you, Lord. You are our foundation. You are our one hope. And I pray, Lord, that we are just draw closer to you more than anyone or anything else. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Today's uh, sermon title is called Only God. Now, last week, we started a sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, and we said that the reason why we wanted to start in the book of Acts and the reason why we want to spend the next few months going through this was because we wanted to see the vision of the early church and we wanted to see kind of the parallels and see kind of how we can push towards that vision ourselves as well, right? Because I know that for a lot of us, we may have come for a variety of reasons. We could have come because a friend invited us. We could have come because maybe we saw this church building on the street. We, we may have come for whatever reason, but at the end of the day, we want to really make sure that the vision and the direction and the way we're moving forward is in line with the Bible, right? I, I think that's kind of the, the one thing that I really want, and I know that's the one thing that a lot of us really desire as well. And so last week, we talked about one foundation and two focuses. Now, the one foundation is Jesus Christ, right? Everything hinges upon Jesus Christ. What we do, how we talk, the programs we put in place, the way that we move, all of that is based around the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Now, the two focuses that come from that are really simple. First is discipleship within the church, and the second is missions outside the church. And we talked about how we really strive to focus upon these two areas in particular. Now, before we go into the sermon, what I wanted to do today, just for a little bit, was tell you about how we are beginning to structure our specific ministry to grow as Christians. Because I think last week we talked a lot about missions and our focus towards our service in that area, but I also wanted to focus at least a little bit on how we structure our growth as Christians and how we structure our growth as brothers and sisters here. Now, the process is something new, so something you guys may not have heard yet because it's something we want to implement soon or starting now. It's called the upside-down process, right? The upside-down process. Now, the reason why it's called the upside-down process is really simple. It's because we're focusing on the up, the side, and the down of a person. Now, for the up, man, we're just trying to follow the commandment, the first commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, and soul, right? 
That's what we want to do. That's what we want to focus on. That's why we put a, such a big priority on Sunday worship. Man, we come here and we want to worship the Lord, give him everything that we can. And I don't know if you know this, but even the order of service and how we set up things, how we try to do our greetings, how we try to do even announcements and scripture reading and the standing for God's word and the sermon and the lyrics on the praise, all of those things are so that we can give glory to God. And we teach this again and again through all of our classes. We try to make sure that we are trying to follow the direction that God has led us in in worshiping him. That's our stance when it comes to up. We want to worship the Lord. That's why when we try to do Bible studies and discipleship classes, man, we're focusing on that up prospect. When we look upon the Lord, we want to know more of him. We want to be, have a clear idea of his character so that we can love him deeper. That's the up. Now the side is the community aspect. That's loving the Lord and loving one another. It's what Jesus commands as well, right? Love your neighbor. And for us as a church, we want to really strive towards that even, even more. I think life groups are such a perfect place to build those side-to-side -side relationships where you are striving together. And that's why we believe that life groups are such an essential part of our church. That if you're just coming on Sundays, it's just not going to be enough. Because Sundays we're focused on the up, but life groups, we really are focused on the side. And that's why we ask questions, we dive into each other's lives, we pray for one another, we live life together. And man, you know, church, I don't want to like, I don't want to our own horn, but I'm so proud of our church in this aspect. I'm proud of, uh, of our church in, in, to be honest, all these aspects, but when it comes to our relationships and living life together, Man, I, I'm so proud of us, especially within these past few months. Because, man, I think we can see the character of friendships and of relationships during times of trial. And I know that within these past few months, there have been a lot of people who have gone through a lot of difficult things. And immediately, the moment that I announce them, I can't tell you how many texts and calls that I get flooding my inbox asking me how they can help. Ask me how they can serve. Ask me what more that they can do. And it's been such an encouragement to me, and it spurred me on. And I know that I should be the one who kind of motivates and tries to spur you on, but I can't tell you how many times that has really given me such a, a big heart and saying, God, I'm so thankful that I have brothers and sisters here who are willing to hold hands together and move forward and love one another. And, I, and, and that's, the, that's the side aspect. The down aspect is service. It's how we can serve one another. It's how we can give to one another. And that's where we place our emphasis on missions. That's where we place our emphasis on the outside part. How do we worship the Lord? How do we worship with one another? And now how can I send that out? Because we know that God is able to bless us abundantly. I know that many of us, I've heard so many stories of people who have come into church, who have heard the sermon, who have worshipped and praised, who have been to the classes, who have done all these things, who have been so blessed. But man, we don't want our blessings to terminate with us. We are called to get those blessings, to take those blessings, and to give them back out. And that's the joy of missions. 
Church, next week, we're going to be showing a video of our missionaries that we support within our specific, within our specific ministry here. We have a lot, we have a few missionaries all over the world. And they're going to be showing an overview of their ministry. They're going to be talking about what they're doing and all the things that they're doing. They're going to ask for prayer requests as well. And church, it's crazy because I was looking, I was watching those videos, like editing it and all that kind of stuff. And it's such an encouragement. Because the one thought that I had as I was watching them was, man, Shining Star is so much bigger than just these four walls. Shining Star is so much bigger than just Falls Church, Virginia. Man, do you realize that your prayers, your giving, your finances have an impact all over the world? And next week, you're going to see real-life evidence of that. I want you to know that there are so many missionaries who are constantly asking for prayer, who are asking for help, who are saying, man, I want to, be, I want to team up, I want to keep going, I want to, I want to rush forward. And we can be a part of that as well. And what a blessing. Now, that order is important as well. The upside-down process. Because we want to make sure that that's the order that we love the Lord in as well. As Christians, we want to grow first in our relationship with Him. And then knowing how to grow in our relationship with one another. And lastly, how we can translate that out to the world. It's the upside-down process, and we believe it's what God has called us to do. But church, even though there are different focuses and, and processes, man, I want us to make sure we never forget our main foundation. And our main foundation is simple. It's just Jesus Christ. And we talked about this last week a little bit, but, you know, we can have the best sermons, the best praise, we can have the best programs, we can have the best classes, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't focus upon Jesus Christ, if it doesn't center around him, then it's meaningless. Because, church, what we trust in is not going to be in my ability to change you. What we trust in is not going to be our life group leaders or in our in our members or in these other brothers and sisters who are able to shape your life, those people are not going to be able to give you true and lasting change. The only thing is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. God is the only one who can truly change our hearts. And we see this again and again and again in the Bible. There are so many people who try so hard to do things their own way. And yet those things are always only a superficial change. You're putting a band-aid upon something that's actually a heart issue. Only God is able to change you. And church, so now as we go into this passage, I just want to focus on that one thing. There's, I only have one point. And that point is God is the one who changes the heart. Verse 1, let's read together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Church, we cannot predict where and when God will bring someone to him. Sometimes it's going to be early in their lives. 
when they're a teenager. Sometimes it's going to be late in their lives when they're a senior. Sometimes it's going to be after years and years of going to church, of hearing sermon after sermon, and yet one day, just one sermon suddenly hits them. And yet for others, the minute that they enter church for the first time, the moment that they hear the first sermon that talks about the gospel, bam, their lives are changed. We cannot predict when and where God will bring someone to him. You see, this verse, it says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell down. And we know that on this day, about, uh, about over 3,000 people were saved. Now, what we know about Pentecost is that it was a celebration. It was a, a festival where people, they would take a break from their harvesting, and they would just come together and just spend some time relaxing and having fun. Now, I don't think anyone had thought that giving a sermon during a party was a good idea. But we see here that, man, God has perfect timing even in this. God has perfect timing of when he's going to grab the heart of somebody else. God grabbed me when I was 18 years old. At that time, to be honest, I didn't really care about God. I wasn't interested in following him. For a really long time, I was going to church really diligently. Before that first year, man, I barely went to church. You would think that God would reach me when I was going to church religiously, and yet it was actually the exact opposite. For me, there was a, a hundred things that I cared more about than God. And yet God did not care about my thoughts. He met me powerfully at that time, and he changed my life. See, church, in this verse, they were in the middle of a party, and yet the Holy Spirit came down, and people began to believe. For those 3,000 people there, they could look back and say that that was the moment that they were saved. And so church, I have that one question for you as well. When did your heart truly change? Church, when were you truly saved? And look, this is going to be one of the questions for Life Group because for me, I think it's so important for us to think about. And the reason why I think it's really important is because for a lot of us, I know we've grown up in the church. For a lot of us, we've, we have believing parents, and we've always, from an early age, have always had memories of Sunday school and of youth group and of college ministry. But church, there's a point in our faith where the faith of our parents become our own. That is not borrowed faith anymore, but it's faith that I own. That's the moment I'm talking about. When is that moment for you? Have you had that moment yet? Look, when I have children, I, I want them to love the Lord with everything. And I know that I'm going to do everything that I possibly can from when they're born to an early age to grow them in the faith. And I know that in the beginning, the basis of my children's faith will be based on my faith and their mom's faith. 
Look, I'm not going to force them to believe, but I'm going to show them how to pray. I'm going to make sure that we read the Bible together. I'm going to be intentional in making sure to show them what it means to live generously and sacrificially as a Christian. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they know what Christianity is. However, I also know that when they get older, they're going, to, they're going to start going to school. They're going to start meeting friends, classmates, and teachers who believe differently. And those people, the classmates, their friends, their teachers are going to be saying different things. And I know it's in that moment when they begin to see the differences that that's where their faith will begin to take shape. And it's at that moment when I'm praying that their borrowed faith will no longer be borrowed, but it will be their own. Church, when is that moment for you? When were you saved? When can you say that, man, this faith that I borrowed from my friend, from my family, from my spouse, from this other person, man, it was this moment when it became my own. When is that moment for you? For me, when I was 18, my faith was no longer a borrowed faith. And I know that, man, for a lot of our parents here, that's our hope as well. That the faith that we had, that we are trying to impart upon our children, is no longer just a faith that we're trying to raise them in, but it becomes theirs. Church, there's this misconception as well. That if we believe God is the one who changes the heart, that he is going to demand a certain level of perfection from us. That he's going to ask us that we have to be at this level, that he's going to say that we're going to have to reach a certain level of cleanliness, of not sinning, in order for us to be saved. And yet the beauty of this verse, and of so many verses in the Bible, is this one truth. God meets you exactly where you are. God doesn't expect you to clean yourself before him. He is a beautiful God. Even if you come to him dirty, even if you come to him feeling like a rag, even if you come to him full of sin, he's the one who will do the cleaning for you. Church, don't you realize that if he expected us to be a certain way, then all of us would fail? Don't you realize that if he expected us to have a certain level of perfection, then salvation wouldn't be something that's given to us. It would just be taken so easily away. We would be so worried and anxious all the time of losing eternal life. Because guess what? There's no amount of perfection that we can ever hold on to. Church, that's why, it says the, that's why it says in the Bible that salvation is a gift. It's the most wonderful, beautiful gift. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that you and I 
cannot boast. Church, God is the one who changes the heart. Let's look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. See, people, they were having a good time minding their own business when something like a mighty rushing wind came into the room. The Holy Spirit, you see, in the Bible, many times is connected to the word wind. In fact, the word for spirit is the same word for wind or for breath. Church, I don't know if you guys remember Hurricane Sandy in 2012, but it was one of the deadliest and, and most powerful hurricanes in the history of America. It hit a lot of the Atlantic coast, and there were news reports. I don't know if you saw pictures or videos of, of cars and trees being tossed around everywhere. Church, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is like a violent wind. And the point that it's trying to get across is that the Holy Spirit is something that comes from the outside and it hits us within. That the Holy Spirit is not something that we can conjure up on our own. It's not something that we can really wish and, and just try our best to earn on our own, but it's simply something that's given to us by the Lord outside to in. Church, is an outside force that is so powerful that it can destroy even your most powerful addictions and most clung onto idols. And I know that this is difficult for a lot of us to really kind of understand. And I know it's particularly difficult for English churches within a Korean American context, because I know that for our parents, many of them are first generation immigrants. And what that means is, man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? That means I walked uphill going to school and then uphill going down home, right? It's, it's always the same story. They walked a, a million miles in the snow to, to get where they want, and they want you to work just as hard. And yes, that's true. And that's a good thing. That's a good aggressive type of personality to have. And yet, many times we had the misunderstanding that it's our hard work that's going to lead to salvation as well. But the Bible is very clear about this, that when it comes to salvation, we are not able to change by ourselves, no matter how hard we work inside, it's simply going to be the Holy Spirit coming from the outside to us within. Verse 2 points out, you see, three things that are important in how God changes our hearts. The first thing it says is suddenly, suddenly. God, you see, is a patient God. He has perfect timing for what he will do. But church, when he moves, he moves quickly and he moves suddenly. This means that he's not going to simply change a part of your life and leave the rest for later. It doesn't mean that he's only going to change a part of who you are and then leave the rest of your identity for another time when he's less busy. It means that when he comes in, in his perfect timing, that he will change you 180 degrees. It means that he's not going to leave a part of you, he's going to change all of you. That when he moves, he may not move 
Today or tomorrow, he may not move in our timing, but when he moves, he moves suddenly and quickly and completely. Verse 2 also says, mighty. The Holy Spirit is powerful, full of force and stronger than anything in this world. And church, what we believe is that there is no addiction, there is no mental instability, there is no illness, there is no situation, there is no financial difficulty, there is no hardship, there is no relational break that can ever, ever separate you from the Lord. What we believe is that there is nothing in your life that the Holy Spirit cannot turn around. We believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than anything in this world. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? What we believe is that there is no sin that God is not able to redeem. And that there is no sin that is greater than the power of the resurrection. If Jesus was able to defeat death, why would he not be able to defeat the things in your life? Do you believe that? And lastly, verse 2 says, from heaven. The one who changes is not from us. It's only God. For those who have been praying for someone and asking and pleading with the Lord, he is the one who will change them. So continue to persevere. For those who have been trying to guide and teach, and yet that person is not changing, he is the one who will change them. So be patient, persevere, and continue to be faithful to him. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes, and he comes from heaven, not from us. God is the one who changes the heart, and as a result, they become new people. Verse 4 says this, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Church, when I look at this story, I believe that this in particular, verses 1 to 13 here, verses 1 through 4, 1 to 13, this story is meant to parallel another story in the Old Testament, actually in the book of Genesis. Because in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 11, you see, there was this group of people who gathered together and they decided to build a tower that reached up to the sky. And they began to build and build, but one day, God made them begin to speak in different languages. And they began to become confused. And they began to fight with one another. And yet, what we see here is that God does the same thing that he makes them all speak in different languages. And yet, people understood one another, and it says that they began to live harmoniously together. What's the difference? You see, the story of the Tower of Babel is a story of greed. Because people were trying to make a name for themselves and become God. But for the people in Acts, it was the Holy Spirit that revealed that Jesus Christ is God. And so church, what, be, what was a curse in Genesis becomes a blessing in Acts. What became a hardship and a difficulty and a way of division in Genesis 
became a way for people to grow and to serve and to love one another in Acts. And the reason is simple. It's because of Jesus Christ. Church, do you realize that death was always our curse? No matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we worked, death was the ultimate end in our lives. But the gospel says that, look, death is no longer a curse. It's a blessing. Do you see that? You know, in the Roman Empire, there's a lot of stories you see in, in secular texts that talk about Christian martyrs, Christian people who would die in the Colosseum games. And they would have Christians come into the stadium and face lions and other warriors and other soldiers, and, and they would die. And, and there would be stories written about these Christian martyrs. And the reason why these Christian people were so unique was because while other people would be so afraid, would run around, would be so scared, they said that the Christian martyrs were different in the way that they would look to death and just be singing praises and hymns and worshiping the Lord. They said that Christian martyrs were actually so unique and almost not fun to watch in Colosseum games because they were so passive in how they received death. Church, you see why that is. Because for those people, they realize that death, man, it wasn't a curse. It was a blessing. Because it means that for them, when they pass away, they're simply going to their father's home. And you see, what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross was that he took our curse from us and he put it on himself. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse from us. And so he took our place. And so now when we look in the face of death, when we look at the lions and the soldiers and the swords in our life, man, all we need to do is sing praise. All we need to do is sing hallelujah. And we're going to see how life is so different. You know, in this passage, when you read further, People say that they walked in and they thought that the people here who were filled with the Holy Spirit were drunk. They mistaken them for drunk people. Do you realize that looking at the face of death and being able to sing songs of gratitude to the Lord, it looks like you're drunk. It looks so opposite of the world. It looks like things shouldn't match up. And yet that's what we're called to be and that's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Is that when the Holy Spirit is within us, man, there's nothing that will phase you in this world. See, it's our belief in the gospel that changes everything. And man, I, I hope that this is true for us moving forward. That you hold on to this. That the gospel becomes the first and foremost thing in your life. And that it affects every part of your life. That not just these situations of life and death, but man, even how you treat other people. That you would be able to treat other people sacrificially, unconditionally. That you will love others because you know that God, Jesus Christ, loves you. Man, that he gave everything for you. That when you look upon other people, that you, you're not going to judge them. 
that you're not going to say, hey, I'm better than you. Or, I, I, I'm, I can do things better than you. No, no. You're going to say, no, no, I love you. I like a brother or a sister because I know that God does not judge me either. Man, that all, we're just striving towards the same goal. And so let's go hand in hand and let's go towards that same thing together. And so church, at Shining Star Community Church, I hope that this is our truth as well. That we will live an upside-down lifestyle. That we will live an upside-down process. And that we will grow together as brothers and sisters. Amen? Let's pray. Yeah, God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for all that you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we...